It's a Psalm 110 show. Thanks for downloading the podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and this is Cross Defense. We talk about Psalm 110 all episode today, how to how to read the Psalms, what riddles Psalm 110 is answering, and why Psalm 110 and the ascension of Jesus actually matters for our thinking, for our praying, and for our lives today. Thanks for tuning in. To cross defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfman. How about this? This is going to sound different. Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. Uh, God be praised. I was installed uh, last week, well, a week ago yesterday or two weeks ago, depending on when you're listening, as the, the, uh, the pastor down in here in Texas. So, so we've been having some reruns for the past few weeks. I appreciate your patience as we weren't live. Hopefully, you didn't notice too much or you caught something new the second time around, but we're back at it now after a little break in fact this break included how about this it was wild we w- included a trip to spain i got to teach some of the pastors and theological educators and also some of the theological students and folks over there at the forum that was happening in madrid and then we took a tour around spain for a couple of weeks and then went back home to aurora colorado and uh, and gathered up all our junk and moved it here to austin texas we're settled in a new house in round rock and in the new um in the new parish here so we're we're down here and we are ready to go again your host pastor brian wolfmuller and this is this is cross defense now here's what i want to try today by the way i want to try to take three or four runs at psalm 110 and and see what we can get there i got i got a lot of notes but they're all over the place so you guys will have to have to excuse a little bit of my scatterbrain as we as we put this together here on the fly but i want to i want to spend our time meditating on this psalm and, and let's start by this way some I, one of the things i like to to look for in the scriptures is riddles and uh and one of the riddles one of the problems that the old testament puts before us is this it tells us that the Messiah is going to be the king, and we know that the king comes from the tribe of Judah. That's Genesis 50, and in fact, later, we learn that the, the king is going to come from the seed of King David. Remember that whole story? is such a beautiful story, right there in Second Samuel, like chapter 5, 6, and especially chapter 7. This is where it, it kind of culminates, where, where David's walking around, and he says, you know, i got this nice, fancy cedar house, and the Lord is still in the tent, so I'm going to build the Lord a, a temple. I'm going to move the Lord out of the tabernacle and into the temple. And he goes to Nathan. He says, hey, I'm thinking about building a temple. And Nathan says, all right. But then he has a dream. And so he goes back to David the next day. He says, whoa, hold it, buddy. Uh, the Lord has something to say. You're not going to build him a house. He's going to build your a house, you a house and your seed will sit on the throne forever. So so that from from that promise, we learn that the Messiah will be a descendant from King David, from Eve, from Noah, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and David, so that he will come from, oh, what he'll come from, uh, from the from the tribe of Judah, and he'll be called David's son. In fact, on Holy Tuesday, Jesus asked the the, the Pharisees, he says, hey, "Whose son is the Messiah?" And they say, "The son of David." From this promise, Second Samuel chapter seven. Okay, so we know that, but we also know that the Messiah is going to be a priest, and the priests are from the tribe of Levi. Now, Levi and Judah are very, very different. You're from one or you're from the other. So, so now we have a problem, a riddle, if you will. And the riddle and the question is this. How can the Messiah be a king from the tribe of Judah and a priest 
from the tribe of Levi? How can you do both? Now the answer is that he won't. He has a different priesthood. And the riddle is solved for us in Psalm 110, where it says that the Lord will be exalted and that he will sit or that he will he will be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So that the priestly order that Jesus has is not the order of Levi, but rather the order of Melchizedek, this crazy character that we run across in Genesis when Abraham is coming back from the destruction of the, of the battle, the five armies, and he's coming back from rescuing Lot, and he goes up to Salem. That's Jerusalem before it was called Jerusalem. And he goes there, and, and he meets this guy, Melchizedek, and he offers him a an offering and everything else like this and he and it talks about his priesthood and all this and and the book of hebrews really gets into this now now we want to see that hebrews is, is answering this riddle but but hebrews is answering this riddle using this magnificent psalm 110 and it's saying that jesus is a king from judah and a priest from melchizedek now that already should get us a little bit intrigued about the importance of the psalm but but there's something even more this psalm well, here, let me let me do let me give you a quiz here. And if you're listening by yourself, you you just have to guess out loud. But if you're listening with your family or you're driving in the car or something like this, I want you to play this game along with me and see if you can figure this out. And and I'll, so I want to ask you, I'm going to give you a quiz. What are the top three Old Testament verses quoted in the New Testament? And we know that the New Testament quotes the Old Testament all the time and we we hear these promises you know the promise that jesus will be born in bethlehem from uh from micah the promise that jesus will be born of the virgin from isaiah that he'll suffer uh, in our place from isaiah 53 my god my god why have you forsaken we know that's psalm 22 that jesus quotes on the cross we see all these old testament quotations all over the new testament and, and especially in romans and in hebrews and in matthew those are the three new testament books that are doing the most to quote the old testament the old testament passages are all over there but there's a few passages that are quoted a lot more than any other and 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 i know at least this is why i can ask because i looked it up i know the top three so i want you to see if you've guessed uh, and, and see if you got any of these right. The first most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament is Leviticus 19, where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that, that maybe you maybe could have gotten if you thought about it. And if you got 100 points for you, if you got that one right, that's a pretty good one. The next two are a little trickier. The second most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament is Psalm 118, verse 22, which says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now that's an amazing passage, and it's an amazing psalm. Psalm 118 is the Hosanna psalm. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a triumphal entry psalm. It's the psalm that the children sang as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. And that and that's, that passage in there is used all through the New Testament to explain how Jesus is rejected by the chief priests and the Pharisees, and yet the Lord exalts him in his resurrection and ascension to be the chief cornerstone. It's an amazing passage and, and one that unfolds uh, another one of these riddles in the New Testament. But the third most quoted Old Testament passage, now you could probably guess this, right? This is what we're going to talk about today. The third most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament is Psalm 110, verse 1, which says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit here at my right hand 
until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, the amazing thing about this passage, and there's a lot to look at it. It's quoted nine times in the New Testament. And most, perhaps importantly, it's quoted by Jesus on Holy Tuesday. Remember I told you that Jesus, when he the Pharisees brought these three questions to him to try to get him in trouble, and he answered all those questions, and he says, okay, you guys, you, you heard, uh, I answered your questions, now I want you to answer my question. Whose son is the Messiah? And they say, the son of David. And then Jesus says to them, well, then why does David say to him? And then he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord. So that Jesus uses, Jesus uses this psalm, which is answering this riddle, how can the Messiah be both the king and the priest from Judah and from Levi? It's answering that. But Jesus uses this to say there's an even deeper and more profound mystery there. It's the mystery of the incarnation. It's the mystery of the two natures of Christ. It's the mystery of the fact that Jesus is begotten of the Father before all worlds and also born of the Virgin Mary, that he's both eternal and has a birthday. How can David, Jesus says, this is what Jesus says, how can David say to his son, the Lord said to my Lord, how can this Messiah be both the son and the Lord of David? Now we... This is so great. We know the answer to this. and We know how this can be. We know that Jesus is David's son and David's Lord because he is both God and man. He's begotten of the Father and he's born of the Virgin Mary. But the Pharisees have no idea. I mean, they are flabbergasted. They cannot answer him. They spent their whole life studying the scriptures, and they thought they knew all the answers, but they cannot give an answer and utter what it, it I mean, they don't even have a clue about what Jesus is talking about because they have no idea about who this man actually is. So they're silenced. And, the, and from that point on, the text says, they didn't seek to debate with Jesus. They didn't seek to fight with Jesus. They didn't seek to, 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 to hold a public court with Jesus. They simply sought to kill him. Now, now that's the fantastic kind of beginning importance of Psalm 110. But the thing that I really want to zoom in on is what the Lord says to the Lord. David in this psalm is, is picking up on a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. He's, he's listening in. On, on what the plans are in the heavenly council. And we remember, I mean, if I were to ask you guys, what, hey, what's the most important place in all the Bible? Maybe you'd say, oh, it's obviously Jerusalem. Or maybe you'd say it's Golgotha or Calvary, the place outside Jerusalem where Jesus was, where Jesus was crucified. But I'd like to suggest to you that the most important place, the most important locale for the theological activity of the Bible is in fact the throne of God in heaven, this heavenly throne room where God the Father are having a conversation. This is what it means to be a prophet, that the prophets go into that throne room and they listen to what God the Father and God the Son are talking about, and David is overhearing this conversation, and he reports it back to the people and to us in Psalm 110. The Lord, that's God the Father, said to my Lord, God the Son, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is the Father promising the throne, the rule, and the reign of the universe to his Son, the Messiah. And this promise is fulfilled 
in the Ascension. Now, of all the, of, of, of all the holidays and of all of the celebrations of the church, I think this is perhaps the most neglected. But, but again, when we think about it, that this Psalm of the Ascension, is uh, uh, Psalm 110, is put before us as this, in, the, this thing that should catch our attention and, and should capture our imagination. When Jesus quotes it twice, and when the, when the authors of the New Testament, Peter in the book of Acts and Paul in his epistles, uh, and Peter in his epistles also, when they quote this text, they want us to know that this is a key text for us to to understand and to study and to get our mind around and and that not only is this a key text but this is a key moment the ascension of jesus is the culmination of his work it's where he takes all the things that he's accomplished in his incarnation in his life in his death in his crucifixion and in his resurrection and he makes it all matter it's where he's lifted up and he takes up this rule and this reign that he he brings the activity that he accomplished on earth to bear in heaven and that this should have our attention now now we'll come to this in the end because i think this is pretty important especially as you know the the kind of political season is starting to uh is starting to ramp up i don't know if you guys had the chance to watch the uh the debates for all of the candidates, the Democratic candidates for, for president in the last couple of weeks and all the rhetoric and all the news. And now we're starting into this political cycle again and, and we're trying to figure out what's going on in the world. I know that as I moved from from Colorado to Texas, especially here in Austin, people are warning me about all the different political things that are going on. And I had the chance to reflect in these last couple of weeks about the political differences between Colorado and Texas and, and specifically Colorado and Austin. And I mean, you, you look around and you see what uh, this kind of this progressive lean and march of our own culture and all the conversations that are happening all the conversations around tolerance or all the conversations around uh, the sexual revolution or all the conversations around intersectionality and and uh and and the politics of 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 race and and all this sort of stuff and 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 we reflect on the direction that our culture is going and there's a temptation that comes along and it it comes to us in every generation but it's important for us now as we enter into the season to reflect on this temptation and the temptation is to think that the thrones that we have set up in this life, in this world, are the most important, are the highest thrones, are the thrones that, that matter the most. And so we're sitting there saying, hey, we have a throne, a seat. We call it the office of President of the United States. And we're going to put a person on that throne. And we have all these little mini thrones. So there are these council rooms in all these cities. So, the, so the, we have councils in, in Washington, D.C., and councils in Austin and Denver and all these different places. We have, and we're going to put the council men and women in these places so they can sit around with authority and have these important conversations. And we're tempted in all of this to think that these are the highest thrones. But Psalm 100. 110 reminds us that there is a throne that is above all of these thrones. There is a throne of thrones. There is a king of kings. There is a lord of lords. And the one that sits on that is Jesus. And Psalm 110 and the New Testament, as it quotes Psalm 110, doesn't want us to forget this. To think that it's to think that it doesn't matter. To, to, to think that just because we don't see Jesus sitting on this throne, that it's not the case. 
So we want to. So so that's kind of the end of the story. But we got a long ways to get there. So let's go to the. Hey, Ian, if you're ready, I've got a question for Ian. He, I want to know why August the tenth is such an important day. This is a quiz for the producer. He's got to try to figure that out. But let's go to the break now. And when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna talk about three questions that we need to ask while we're reading the Psalms. This will help us dig into the text of Psalm 110. We'll start looking at how the New Testament uses that text, and then we'll conclude with a discussion of how Psalm 110 gives us great comfort in the in the political season and as we live our life here down below. So we'll go to the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Your family gathers to celebrate your retirement from a career of over 40 years. Tears of joy for your newborn child are mixed with tears of sadness as you hear the sobering diagnosis. You softly smile to hide your sorrow as you watch your wife struggle to remember your daughter's name. Whatever your season in life, whatever your joys or struggles, Christ is for you. Hear the gospel message daily on KFUO. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. This week on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the book of Matthew. We'll discuss the Sanctus, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth with Pastor Peter Bender. And we'll continue our series on the Lutheran Confessions, talking with Pastor Paul McCain about Christian questions with their answers from Luther's small catechism. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, there is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide, KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org. The Psalm 110 episode of Cross Defense. Now, now let's uh, let's take a half step back here and let's get get a running start on the Psalms because uh, one of the things that I'll confess to you, one of the things I have difficulty with is reading poetry. I try. I know it's important. You know, everyone's got poetry books and all this stuff, and it's tough for me. I remember. I, when I started going to college, I enrolled in the mechanical engineering classes just so I wouldn't have to take any literature. <laughs> wouldn't have to read any poems. But uh, I, I think when I decided halfway through college I was going to become a pastor, I thought, well, I better go learn how to read and took some English classes. Still, still poetry was tough. But I, and the Psalms are, are poetry, and, and they're a different kind of poetry, the Hebrew poetry, which is even a little bit tougher. And, and, and so I, you know, I read the Psalms. I, spend time, I know the Psalms are important, but, but for a long time I, I just had difficulty figuring out what's, what's going on. I, I just, here's, I'll confess this, I just didn't know how to read them. 
I'd go and visit the old timers, and I'd look at their Bibles, and I'd see that right in the middle of those pages are just worn out. That they'd live in the Psalms, that they'd pray the Psalms, they loved the Psalms. They were always all about the Psalms, and I, and I, I am missing something. So a couple of years ago, I, I sat down and I said, now how do I, what do I, what should I do here? What, how can I dig into these poems, and how can I understand them and know them better? And I came up with six questions. I think these six questions, I'll tell you what they are, but I think they, probably the first three or maybe even the first two are the most important questions. And I'm going to suggest these to you as questions that you should ask while reading the Psalms or really any portion of biblical poetry. So the first question is this. Who is talking to whom? Who's talking to whom? Who's the whose voice is it in the psalm, and and who's the audience of that vo- voice? Now, when we read the narrative of the scripture, it'll tell us David said to Nathan, or, or or Jesus said to his disciples, or or whatever. When we read the epistles, we know who's talking to whom. It's Paul, an apostle, to the saints of God in Galatia. So we know the speaker and we know the audience. But oftentimes, in the poetic portions, we don't know who it is is talking to whom. You have to do the work to figure it out. So so is it. Is it an individual or is it a group of people talking? Is it an I or is it a we? And is the person talking to the church and Christians? So if it's, say, an individual talking to Christians, that's going to be a sermon. Or or is it a group of people talking to the enemies of God? That's going to be like a taunt or something like that. Is it is it an individual talking to God? That's an individual or a group talking to God? Or is it God talking to us? That's the that's the word of God, a message straight straight to us. Is it and, and and an important thing to notice is that it changes. It it'll it'll often change fr- from one to another. For for example, uh, Psalm twenty three, this most famous psalm, it it'll change from a sermon to a prayer. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. That's all. That's all a. a, a a preaching, a sort of medit- listen to what the Lord does for me. And then it, it switches. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, you lead me. You guide me and so forth. It switches to, it's almost as if the psalmist is overcome by the goodness of the preaching that it, it, it turns into a prayer like that. Or maybe we'll look at this in a little bit, Psalm 46, where all of it is a preaching, individual corporate preaching, except for one little verse where it's God speaking to us. That, that little line that says, be still and know that I am God. This is so wonderful text. The whole thing is a sermon. The Lord is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. But then it just switches right in the middle. One, the Lord says one thing to us, and then it's back. Now, one of the sometimes it's, by the way, the, when you're looking at the psalm, sometimes it's a Christian talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Sometimes it's the church preaching to the angels. Bless him, all you ministers of him. That's also there in Psalm 103. So, So who's talking to who? Now, the most interesting psalms, are where God is talking to God. <laughs> that you, know, you say, what, Pastor? What are you talking about? But consider, for example, one of the most famous texts, Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's God the Father talking to the Son. What a beautiful text. Or Psalm 22, which Jesus quotes on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's God talking to God right there. That's that that heavenly counsel. And the same thing is happening also in Psalm 110. Now, if you take the whole Psalm 110 verse 1 and you put it all together, you say, who's talking to who? The answer is David is talking to us. 
telling us what the Father said to the Son. So David overhears this count, this conversation between God the Father and God the Son, and he's telling us about this conversation. So it's a conversation in a conversation. And, and so it's David saying, the Lord said to my Lord, here's what I overheard God talking about. Sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. How fantastic. So who is talking to whom? That's the first key. And we and again, we want to remember that often it'll change. So I, and I want you guys, I hope this is practical, um, that, that when you're, when you're reading the Psalms in your devotions tonight or tomorrow, or whatever, that uh, that you'll ask these questions and hopefully they'll start to unfold before you. Now, here's the second question. This is the most important question. And it is, what's the picture? Poems are painting for us a picture with words. And, and we have to get the picture if we want to understand what's happening. Now, most of the picture, and here's one of the problems. I remember, <laughs> I remember a few years ago when I was a baby pastor, uh, we were talking about something I can't remember, and, and uh, someone said, you're too, <laughs> Pastor, you're too urban. You don't know about all the chickens and farms and stuff like that. It's true. We grew up next to a ranch. Not, not uh, No farms were around as well. So if you grew up on a farm, you have access to all of these pictures. You know what the harvest looks like. You know the hail uh, that comes in the spring and how much damage it can do. And, and I'll tell you that the pictures in the Bible really come from three sort of places. They come from the farm, from the battlefield, and from the temple. So, so there's other pictures, of course, but those three pictures, the farm, the battlefield, and the temple are where a lot of the it, it, um, imagining pictures come from in the scriptures. And so you have to, you have to go and, and you have to imagine, you, you have to imagine the, the picture that's happening there. So again, Psalm 23, one of the reasons why it's such a beautiful and well-loved beloved psalm is it gives us such a fantastic picture the lord is my shepherd it almost just paints itself right in your imagination there you are a little lamb and you're kind of shivering because you're in the woods and you're afraid of being eaten by everything and here comes along the the sturdy footsteps of your shepherd and you look up and there he is and he's smiling down at you and he leads you to the to the to the green grass where you're where you eat and are filled, and he leads you to the still waters, where you're not afraid to drink and be swept away by the rivers, and he, he protects you, his rod and his staff. Now, what's interesting is ju just like the who's talking to whom, the picture can also change. And Psalm 23 does it. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. So it's the picture in the middle of Psalm 23 switches from a little lamb being led into the garden to a, uh, to what, to a, to a warrior being seated in a table while he's surrounded by his enemies and he's feasting and he's laughing even in the midst of all of these dangers. <laughs> this is a beautiful picture, but the, the picture will also switch sometimes. But as we, as we dig into the Psalms, we want to say, what is the picture? So as another example, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does a walk in the counsel of the wicked, sit in the seat of scoffer, stand in the way of sinners. That was wrong, but... He, uh, but rather, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a what? Like a tree planted by living waters, whose leaves never wither, who bears his fruit in his season. Whatever he does will prosper. So, th so what is the man who meditates on the Lord's law like? You're supposed to see it, that especially especially when you live in the Judean wilderness, when you live in, in Jerusalem, where trees are, you know, they have a tough time. 
but here's this tree that's planted by the streams and it's the leaves are always green and the fruit is always rich and, and it's sturdy it's not going to be it's not going to die it's it's going to live it's 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 this picture of life and fruitfulness well the the psalmist of psalm 1 says that is what the man who delights in the law of the Lord is like you got to see the picture in your imagination now that psalm immediately goes on to contrast that picture with another picture it says the wicked are not so they're like the chaff that the wind drives away the chaff is like that thin film that sits on the outside of the kernel of wheat again now you those of you who know chaff are saying oh you're too urban still but uh but the chaff is this, they have to, you know, to get the wheat out, the kernel of the wheat, they have to gather it all up and they put it and, and they go up on the hill. This is this old threshing floor business and they beat the thing with these nunchucks and it beats the husk and the chaff away from the kernel and then they take that in a basket and they throw it up and the seed falls down because it's heavy and the chaff just floats away. It's gone. It's just, it's like, it's like the dandelion seeds, you know, it's just, it's lighter than paper. It just floats away. So that you're supposed to see it with your imagination. What are the wicked life like? The wicked are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So the, here's the righteous man, the tree that doesn't move, and the chaff. Whew. And when you see the picture, you see the point of, of the, that the psalm is, is painting for us. Here's a, uh, another picture. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee. Oh Lord, so you see this deer that's that's been running from a lion, and it's, it's you can see the heart beating in the rib cage, and the tongue is hanging out, and it just needs something to drink, or it's gonna it's gonna die of thirst out there in the wilderness. And 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 David sees that picture, and he paints that picture for us, and he says, "That's what the Christian is. That's what the Christian is longing for the Lord's word." Or to take one from Psalm or from Isaiah, Isaiah fifty three, it says, as the, as the lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. It's the it's the picture of a of a sheep about to be shorn. Now this is an amazing sort of thing. I went I've never seen a sheep shorn before. Someday I want to go see this and see what see what's actually happened. But so I had to I had to look it up on YouTube. Now how about that for for an urban pastor, <laughs> I want to know what it looks like when a sheep is shorn, so I have to look up videos on YouTube. But I, but I found this the guy explaining it from some Australian sheep shearer, and and apparently what happens? It's the most amazing thing to see is that if you if you take a sheep and you flip it on its back, it's it it sulks. It doesn't it doesn't foss. It doesn't bay. It doesn't kick. It just kind of lays there like fine. Do what you're gonna do, and you shave it. You shave all the. All the stuff off the sheep. Well, this is so like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So that when Jesus is going forth to his trials and to his crucifixion, you're supposed to um, you're supposed to see the sheep that's just sulking there, just just passively letting these things happen to it. So you got to ask the the question: What's what's the picture? One of the most beautiful pictures. We were thinking about this in Bible class the other day. Is Psalm 46. We were working on Psalm 46. Uh, last year at Reformation time, because Psalm 46 is the psalm that Martin Luther used to write the A Mighty Fortress. Remember that A Mighty Fortress? Him, in fact, Luther would go say, "Hey, Melanchthon, let's go sing Psalm 46," and they would go sing A Mighty Fortress. And I remember one time. I mean, I knew that, and I was singing A Mighty Fortress, and I thought, "How in the world did Luther get from Psalm 46 to A Mighty Fortress?" 
But when you go and you dig into Psalm 46, you start to see the picture. The Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth shakes and mountains give way and all the seas are foaming. Uh, God is our refuge and our strength and so forth. And so you get the picture of a city. There's a river that makes glad the city of God so that so that this, this walled city that, that is the city of God, and there's a river in it, so there's nothing to worry about. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. But even though she's surrounded by enemies and all the things around are falling over, the mountains are falling into the sea and the waters are quaking and all this, that there, this city is established and quiet. And, we, and, and the psalm puts us in the city, and we're rejoicing that we're in this city and we're protected. That's a picture. It's a beautiful picture. But then something amazing happens. Not only is God in the midst of the city, but God goes out from the city to triumph over his enemies. And the picture is there's someone that's there on the wall, and they looked at, they're looking outside at what's happening outside the city wall, and they say, you're not going to believe this. Come, behold the works of the Lord. And it's like we're called up to the city to see what ha- to, up to the city wall to see what's happening out there. And the Lord has gone out, and he, he's triumphing over his enemies. He's breaking the bow. He's shattering the spear. He's breaking the sword in half. He's, he's just he's wrecking havoc over all of these armies and hosts that have gathered around the city of God and he's destroying them and then as he's as he's marching around destroying all the enemies of God he turns around and looks at us watching him on the city and God talks to us and says be still and know that I am God I will be exalted among the nations I will be exalted in the earth so that the Lord, as he's, as he's destroying all of his enemies, he says, you guys just take it easy. You stay there. Don't move. I don't need your help. I've got it covered. You just watch. Watch me do this. It's incredible. To, so, so that this, this question, what's the picture, gives us access to what's going on in the psalm. Now, I told you there were six questions. Those first two are the ones I really want you to remember. But just if you're kind of a theology nerd and you want to jot these other ones down, you can do that. The, the third, if, see if I can remember, the third question is what's the structure? A lot of times the Hebrew poetry is beautiful because of the structure of it. So, for example, Psalm 46, there's a verse 7 and verse 11 are the are the refrain. It repeats itself over and it divides the psalm up. Or sometimes when you see a psalm that has 22 verses, you'll it's, it's going to be a... One of those uh, poems that's an acrostic poem that starts with each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters and this is that sort of thing. Sometimes you'll see the, the, the parallelism and all that sort of stuff. So the, what's the structure? And then you can ask the question um, for, the next, for the next three is what's the context? These are question four. What's the context? Do I know when it happened, who wrote it, why they wrote it? For example, when we understand that Psalm 51 was the psalm that David wrote, after he was repentant for his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, then that really comes to life. So if we know, we don't know the context of about, we maybe know 30% or 20% of the Psalms. So if we know the context, what's the context? And then the, 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 the fifth question is, how is it used in the New Testament? That's especially what we want to dig into, Psalm 110. And then the last question is, how is it used in the church? Is it in the liturgy? When does it come up? And so forth. But these first two questions, when, uh, who is talking to who and what's the picture are the are the questions that are going to help the psalms come to life now when we come to psalm 110 here ian is giving me the countdown warning so real quickly when we come to psalm 110 verse 1 we recognize who's talking to who it's david talking to us telling us about the father talking to the son and what's the picture the picture is of a king exalting his son to the throne and giving him rule and reign 
over all of his enemies. The picture is of a coronation. King, the king handing over his kingdom to his son. And this is what happens in the ascension of Jesus. It's where Jesus takes up this office of being Lord. Now, in other words, when we to think about this, when we confess Jesus is Lord, we're confessing that Jesus has been exalted to sit on this throne, the throne of the universe. And this means something. Now, what does it mean for us? That's what we're going to talk about next. So hang on. We're going to go to the break. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Thanks for being a podcast listener to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfman. I'm a pastor of a new couple congregations, St. Paul Lutheran Church right here in Austin, Texas, and also Jesus Steph Lutheran Church also in Austin, Texas. I'd love to invite you to come and visit. If you're in the area, live close by Austin, or even if you're just visiting or passing through, uh, drop in. We'd love to see you. Uh, St. Paul Lutheran Church is located at 3501 Red River Street. I don't even know the zip code yet, but you can find it online, website stpaulaustin.org. You can also find the website for the Jesus Deaf Lutheran Congregation and, and all the things that are happening there uh, on the Internet. We'd love, again, to hear from you uh, if you're in the area. Thanks again. God's peace be with you. So, what's the who? Oh, you're listening to Cross Defense. I'm supposed to do this stuff. We're listening to Cross Defense. I'm Pastor Brad Wolfmiller, pastor of, whoa, St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. I got to get used to that. Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas, and your host here on Cross Defense. And we're talking about Psalm 110 because it's great. I mean, it's so, we just spend months talking about this. I got to talk about this with the missionaries over in Spain a couple of weeks ago, and they were. It's, it's they it's there's so much there they were seeing uh, so much that even I I didn't see we we talked about how the psalm is answering the question how can the Messiah be both the king from Judah and the priest from Levi answer is no he's a priest from Melchizedek we also talked about how Jesus used it to introduce another riddle and that is the riddle of the incarnation that he is both David's son and David's Lord begotten of the Father from eternity and also born of the Virgin Mary it's really fantastic. And then we talked about how to read the Psalms. Now, this I, hopefully this is helpful to ask these two questions. Who's talking to who and what's the picture? And so we have the picture of Psalm 10 of a father, of a kingly father, giving the throne to his son and saying, sit here at my right hand. The right hand is not, is, the right hand is, it, 
it's the place of authority. It's like the right-hand man kind of thing. Uh, and so that Jesus is entering into the right hand of the, the this full authority of God the Father. Like he says in Matthew 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Sit here at your right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The footstool is this, this comes from the ancient world. This, the Babylonians would love to do this. But all these old kings, you know what they'd do is they'd they have their throne there and they would have they would have a stool where they would put their feet up and they would have these ornate footstools and in the sides of the footstools they would have their their palace artists make these relief cuttings or paintings of that king defeating another nation so the king of babylon like overcoming the king of egypt or the king of assyria overcoming the king of india or whatever and they would be there would be these pictures of all the defeated nations and there the the kings of the other nations would be in chains being driven into prison or whatever, or slaughtered by this great king. And so the king would put his footstool, his, he'd put his feet on the footstool and show here's how he's triumphed. Well, this is what God the Father is doing for Jesus. Now, now this is so important for us because when we, when we look around, we are tempted to think that the devil has built a footstool and is putting his feet up on the world. We're tempted to think that the, that the kingdom of darkness is ruling and reigning. We're tempted to think that the devil and the demons are the ones that sit on the throne. But that is simply not the case. The New Testament puts this truth before us over and over again. That in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension, Jesus has triumphed over the kingdom of darkness and he now rules and reigns and he rules and he reigns all things for the sake of the church I want to I want you to hear how Peter preaches this in his Pentecost sermon I just think this is the first this is the first sermon the first Christian sermon uh, that's being preached in the New Testament I mean Jesus had preached a lot up until then so don't I mean not I'm not ignoring that, but but now we're going to have an apostle preaching all the time. I mean, just about every other time the apostles opened their mouths in the Gospels, they were getting it wrong. But now in Acts, they've received the Holy Spirit, and they're going to open their mouths, and they're going to get it right. So here it is on Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. The Holy Spirit has descended upon the apostles. They're going to go forth, and they preach in all these different languages. And finally, all the people gather, and Peter starts preaching. And at the end of the sermon, he says this. He says, Therefore, I'm starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, this is talking about King David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh seek corruption. This is talking about Psalm 16, uh, which he quoted earlier. Verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he poured out this which you now see and hear for David did not ascend into the heavens but he says himself the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool therefore and here he's going to conclude his sermon. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord 
and Christ. This is so amazing. So Jesus was the Lord Jesus. He was Christ Jesus. But that th these titles, Lord and Christ, are all pointing to the ascension. When Jesus ascends into heaven and takes that throne to rule and reign all things, he now takes up in its fullness these titles and these offices that he is Lord and he is Christ. Now these two confessions, Jesus is Christ and Jesus is Lord, is what got the church in such trouble. Jesus is Christ is why the the Jewish Sanhedrin will begin the work of martyrdom and martyr James and Stephen and so forth because they confess that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus is Lord is why the Caesars all are martyring all the Christians. In fact, that was when you read the history of the martyrs, this was the fight. They would they, the martyrs would be brought before the before the proconsul or whatever, and they would have one thing to do. They would simply have to say, Caesar is Lord, not Jesus is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And they'd offer a little pinch of, of incense on the, on the Caesar altar. And the Christians simply refused to do it. They confessed this truth that is established here from Psalm 110 and from the ascension of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. And this was so offensive and so repulsive. Now, I've been trying to figure out how we can say, because when we say Jesus is Lord, it doesn't offend us because there's not other people who say, no, no, you're supposed to call me Lord. I, I don't think... I, and you guys can help me. If you have ideas about this, I, I really would actually would like the help. So you can send me a note. You can find all the – you can contact me through the website, wolfmuller.co, if you have ideas about how to say this better. I, I wonder if we said something like, Jesus is my president. Now, that sounds silly, but I can't think of any way to get at it closer. Jesus is my president. In other words, everyone else has another president. You know, you have a president in Washington, D.C. or whatever, this sort of thing, that – you say, no, no, the one who's in charge of my life is Jesus, or Jesus is my king. See, we don't have another competing king. I, don't, I just don't know. I'm not, sure if in our, I'm not sure if in our cultural context there's, a, there's an equivalent. But when we're saying Jesus, Jesus is Lord, we're saying that he's the one who matters. His will is what matters. His word is my law. His kingdom, my citizenship, is in his kingdom. I, I belong to him. Can you imagine? I mean, what happens if you say that? Jesus is my president. <laughs> it does sound really silly, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Jesus is my president. But it is, there is something offensive about it. You're saying that the guy that's up there who thinks he's president, that he's not really the president. That's why, this, that's why the Caesars would, go, would get so offended when the Christians says that, say that Jesus is Lord because they're saying, oh, this guy over here who's claiming to be the Lord, he's not. His office is illegitimate, or at least it's a subservient office to the one who's truly the Lord because there might be lords, but I am a follower of the Lord of lords. I, I belong to his kingdom. When, when I say that Jesus is king, then I'm saying that he has a kingdom and that I'm a citizen of that kingdom. When I say that Jesus is Lord, I'm saying that I belong to him and that my life belongs to him i'm saying something i'm saying something really quite radical quite, quite fund that, that stands fundamentally against the way that we want to think about this uh, about this life now I, I i want us to press on this a little bit because because this basic confession that jesus is lord that jesus is christ and jesus is lord this is the confession that got our brothers and sisters in Christ crucified. 
it was so troublesome and so offensive to the world that the world couldn't stand to, to have it said. And, and we want to realize that when we say those words, we, we are also, we're joining them in this offense. When we, when we say that Jesus is Lord, that he rules and reigns, and he rules and reigns all things for us, for the, for the church, for his, for his body, we're saying something incredibly offensive. I was at the deathbed of a dear saint this last week. And I said, is there a, a hymn that you love that I could sing for you? And he says, you know, I've been thinking about this one a lot, especially the last couple of days, and I'd like you to sing it for me. I'm but a stranger here. I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Earth has no pleasure dear. Heaven is my home. Now, something profound about that citizen, about that uh, hymn. We would hope maybe that it would, it would talk a little bit more about the resurrection than it does, but nevertheless, the idea that we are citizens of a different kingdom, that we are pilgrims and strangers in the earth, that this is not that that, that the kingdoms in which we live now. Are, are not the true kingdoms, but there is something more that's, that's waiting for us on the other side of death, on the other side of the resurrection, on the other side of the second coming, that, that we have another king and that it is Jesus. This is really, really a profound confession. And whenever we make that simple statement, Jesus is Lord, that's what we're saying. We just, we've looked at a couple of texts where this comes up. I want to I look at one more uh, where this Psalm 110, Ian is going to start giving me the alarm bells here pretty soon. I don't know if he's figured out why August the 10th is such an important date. Ian, have you sorted that out yet? We'll have to see if, if he knows that. But I want to read uh, one more text and, and think about it a little bit. And this is Paul writing in Ephesians. I think we can, we can pick this up. There's a long sentence here. Well, we better pick it up in verse 15. We're headed to verse 22. Ephesians 1, Paul writes, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, and that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, that what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God the Father has, has put all things under the feet of Jesus. Now, I, I don't know if you're distressed 
Oh, we got three minutes. Here come, here come, here it comes. I don't know if you're distressed when you look around at the world. I don't know if you're distressed and worried when you look at your life. I don't know, I don't know if you, if you look at the way things are going in the world and 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 that it seems to you like everything is just out of control. Like, like whoever's in charge is not acting like they're in charge. But here's the confession that we have from Psalm 110 that is so important, and it's this that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and he rules and he reigns, and he does all of this for the sake of the church. I mean, it look, it, look, it's true that if you and I were in charge, we would do things very differently, right? I mean, if you and I were in charge of history, we would not have the history that we have, and we probably wouldn't have the future that we have. If you and I were in charge of salvation, it would probably look a lot different than the incarnation and death of Jesus on the cross. But he, but we're not in charge. Jesus is in charge, and the and the history and and the and the way things are going, and the way things are happening in the church, and the way things that are happening in our culture, and the way things that are happening in your life and your own family. All of these things are under the dominion of Jesus, who is the Lord of lords he truly sits on the throne he truly rules and reigns all things for the sake of the church the father is truly putting all things under the feet of jesus jesus uh, is ruling over the devil and death and sin and all of it and he's doing all of this for you you belong to him you live under him in his kingdom you you are privileged to serve him and innocence and righteousness and blessedness you you belong to the you belong to the crucified king of kings to the dead and raised lord of lords to the to the crucified and risen lamb who is the lion of the tribe of judah and the priest forever according to melchizedek you you belong to the one who has all things under his feet and he's done all this for you so so don't worry you don't don't worry so much about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll put on or what tomorrow will be like or if you'll live or if you'll die because you belong to Jesus and and that throne and that blessed conversation that David gets to overhear in Psalm 110 one day you'll get to overhear that conversation too the son talking to the father commending you to him and welcoming you into his kingdom. God be praised that Jesus is Lord. And thanks for listening to Cross the Fence. We'll catch you again next week. God's peace be with you. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thanks again for downloading the podcast of Cross Defense. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments or feedback, you can send that to me from the comment page at the website, wolfmuller.co. It's W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. Co. If you have questions, theological questions, suggestions for shows, you can leave that 
uh, there as well. And check out some of the other theology that's happened. Uh, there's some videos, some other audio kind of things. So wolfmuther.co, I'd love to hear your feedback. And if there was someone uh, th- that you think would be helped by the this episode today, please share it. That's how the word gets around. I appreciate that and your help in uh, getting the program out there and uh, getting into more ears. Thanks again. God's peace be with you.